Hello and welcome to the Studio Rats podcast, show number two. I'm Matt McCabe. I'm Jeff Elbell. And we're glad that you tuned in. This is going to be our first proper show since the last show uh, was a little bit off the cuff. This show we're actually going to have a musical guest. Um, we're going to have Will Willard from the Willard Marcel Theory on later. And we'll be talking to him about um, some of their music. Um, anything going on with you, Jeff? Everything. Uh, got to play a show in Millennium Park in Chicago yesterday. That was exciting. Uh, there were several hippies in attendance. It was a performance with the Sharp World Music Ensemble on a day that featured uh, drum circles interspersed with performing bands at the Prisco Pavilion downtown. That was a lot of fun. And, and everybody, anybody and everybody had to fit on the same small stage, and it was a lot of uh, live percussion being mic'd on the ground and on the stage. Um, there were there were mics carried out for, for people in the drum circle to come in and, and kind of do on-the-spot guest solos with whatever group was performing. There, were, there was a Tycho group, and um, let's see, there was a group from Belize, and then we were representing the great performers of Illinois, which was... <laughs> <laughs> Which was amusing to me, and I hope I get a plaque that says that I'm one of them someday. Yeah, well, it sounds like that could be a potential feedback nightmare. But uh... oh, and the, the the real trick was it, since it was at the Pritzker, the Pritzker Pavilion has a has a net over the top of the Great Lawn that uh, has crisscrossing lines of, of speakers and you know and cable running. So it's a giant RF generator. Nice. So that was that was great fun for the for the upright electric double bass. Well, yeah, the only thing I've been doing is I seem to have a knack for recording guitar parts and then deleting them the following week. <laughs> so, yeah. I, uh, intentionally? No, not intentionally. The, the problem was I'd, I'd move some files um, on my laptop um, onto my desktop because I record all my audio to an external drive and I was going to do a little work on the road. And uh, so when I came back, I forgot that I had that folder on the desktop and logic i guess had decided that that was going to be my recording path and so when i recorded some guitar there uh and then realized oh i don't need this uh folder on my desktop anymore well i trashed all my files well uh, enough about my sad story let's go ahead and get into our interview first i'm going to play a clip of darkening skies by the willard marcel theory and all the other music that you're going to hear throughout the show is going to be them as well so um, here's a little clip from Darkening Skies, and then we'll get into our interview. nice to meet you um you too the other voice that you hear that's jeff right how you doing jeff i'm doing very well let's get um, get right into it um why don't you first 
um, Will, tell us a little bit about about the group. I know there's a couple other people in the band, and why don't you give us um, just a quick little summary of what you guys are about. Sure. Uh, we started the Willard Marcel Theory in October of 2005. It was based on a band that John and Scott and I had had uh, with a guy named Dan Tayez back in 1980. We formed a band named Entropics in San Antonio. And since then, we played in a million other bands and done other recording projects, but we'd kind of gotten away from it as we got older and had families and whatnot. And we were, we formed again in October of 2005, wasn't with the intention at all of playing live. It was the goal was using, to use the internet to record music since we live in different cities. I'm about 35 miles from, from where John and Scott live. And so the options were to maybe get together once a month and record some basic tracks or throw some ideas together and then send the rest back and forth via Wave or MP3. Now, just for instance, I, if we took the song Darkening Skies, is that something that you guys basically recorded you know, when you got together or you were swapping files back and forth? Swapping files for that. Well, John and I got together on that, and um, I use a lot of drum loops that I snipe off the Internet. You know how that is. You just find something. I have to say a lot of this is just lost and found art for us. We just find something like it. We'll turn it into a loop and then build it out of that drum rhythm, in this case, uh, with something from a Jerry Marauder rhythm. And John just played down a uh, some guitar loop stuff really just he'll work on this crazy setup he's got at his house he throws a a quick setup into a mac with uh audacity which is some freeware that's real unstable in my opinion and he'll create a loop and and send it to me in format of an mp3 and then i'll clean it up because normally it's got some kind of crazy radio um Mexican radio bleeding over to it as well from San Antonio station that must be near his house. It's crazy. And we clean it up, use that as our loop, and then I just start layering on that. Uh-huh. Now, what are you using for, uh, assuming you're computer-based, what, what are you using for software? Right now in software, you wouldn't believe it. We've got Cubase and some other things. Primarily, I'm using Magix, a $7.98 program. I got it at half price books. That is our, uh, that's primarily what we're using there. And um, it, only because I'm lazy, I have other software. I just haven't learned how to use it yet. And we've had that set up since we started, and I've just stuck with it. It's it's really our whole studio is uh, bits of uh, Goodwill, eBay, and you know if it if it makes a song, it probably didn't sell on eBay, or we just cherish that piece of gear. It sounds like that's a that's a that's a promising approach, and and maybe I, I took the wrong path with spending a thousand bucks to get Logic Audio onto my Mac. <laughs> I'm all for you know the plugins and everything else, and I don't use, utilize them as much as I probably should. Um, but we were it was a less is more approach when we first started. You know, I had owned a music store years ago. I'd been in the industry, you know, much like you guys, played all over the place, and just it was just becoming a sickness with all the gear I was collecting. So I thought, you know, this is going to be a less is more. There's a way to do a studio and do a project. I mean, we could put anybody with a PC into recording. Home studio for a hundred dollars a day, cheap or Behringer or whatever. And of course, it's gotten a little bigger than that. But we're still based out of uh, my studio in Fulton, Texas. Uh, it's in a barn. I'm on 20 acres out here. I have chickens and goats and emus that just outside the door, so I have to run them off if we ever run a live mic. It's really rural, but uh, you know, it's it's really there's a lot of aesthetic to it as well. I think we really enjoy that getting out here and just relaxing whenever we do get the chance to get together and hang out as friends and come up with some music. 
my my first question was going to be, what's your most um, indispensable piece of um, recording gear or software? But obviously, you know, we're we're into it a couple questions now. But um, what what piece of gear can't you live without, and why? Um, right now, probably there's a Genesis One by Digitech. It's a just a guitar uh, module, much like a pod, which I have a pod, but everybody's got a pod. And I found this Genesis One on some pawn shop for twenty five bucks or something, and I have just fallen in love with that thing. I use it on, on almost everything, cleaning, distortion, whatever. Also, I've got some Scholes Rock modules from nineteen eighty six. Um, the rack, if you remember the SR and D stuff, that was rack, the chorus delay, and the sustainer. And there's a clean sound on there. Uh, the number two, I think it is the clean two, which is just for for stacking parts. If I double or triple guitar parts, I'll usually throw one of those on there just to make it shimmer. Can you tell me how you developed the, the clean sound that you hear on Darkening Skies, the African rhythm guitar? Um, that was actually the... John laid down the first part of that himself with his loop, and he's using just a really off-brand, um, you know, inexpensive Ibanez through a Line 6 uh, delay looper. And he kind of got that. We put it into a... Uh, you know, I just, I just looped that together once I got it, chopped it up. And then I just overdubbed again with uh, with the Genesis in this case, um, using an old Rickenbacker 12 string I have and a Frankenstein Strat that I've got as well. Yeah, looking at your MySpace page and seeing John credited with vocals and articulate announcements, it wasn't a real surprise to hear some of that three of a perfect pair or blue influence in the parts, and I really enjoyed that. Oh, I'm glad. That's uh, you know, Crimson's a big influence. John especially. He uh, worships at the shrine of Fripp, no doubt about it. And uh, I'd probably be his Adrian, and he's my Robert. But uh, right. that's, and, I it, I, and it's it's funny how that works too, because we're really not trying to create something that's intentionally crimson esque, yet it does come through real strongly. So, well, I, th- I think it's well, people just don't have that many points of reference for something that goes in that direction. I don't think it means that you're that you are sounding like crimson. I think it's more kind of an approach that that experimental texture to it and something that's balanced to something that's very meticulous and then something that's very emotional on the other side. I like that precision with kind of the African guitar sound. It reminded me a little bit of maybe Matchless Man, too. Okay, I, very good. We were trying for the Bay City Rollers, but it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, oh, boy, there's always next time. <laughs> Since we're talking about Darkening Skies, so um, which one of you guys is actually doing the singing on the songs? Okay, John, John definitely. John's the voice of the... Willard Marcel theory. We both sing, but he's just got the, that's what he wants to do is get some lyrics in there, and I fight him all the time. I just want to write instrumentals and soundtrack music, and he, he's always trying to bring the pop and the angle to it, plus some of his weird atonal stuff um, that I, I love to work with. Um, so that's his that's his angle. Okay. Now, now I have to ask, I think uh, John sent over a, a picture of of your studio there and on the in the top rack you have something uh, labeled the space modulator and i'm a little surprised that 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 wasn't your most um you know your most important piece of recording gear there i I, I suspect (laughs) that that's maybe just a blank rack panel but uh i wanted to ask you about that you're close you're close that's uh the space modulator yeah i had that for years when i play live i had a crybaby wall that i had labeled space modulator and then this is actually um just a a, a power strip that i labeled space modulator as well and photoshopped some leds on it okay as well 
So when I would go out and play live, people always come up and ask me, you know, wow, where are you getting that tone from or whatever it would be? And I'd say, oh, the space modulator, can't leave home without it. And so people would want to know where they could buy a space modulator. It's um, just an in- inside joke. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I, uh, I suspected yep. that was probably the case, but uh, I wanted to follow <laughs> I, up. It takes very little to make us, keep us entertained, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right, you make another one, put it on eBay, and see if That's right, right. Oh, After this, I think I must start producing them. There you go. Yeah, you make a little extra money. I, I, I was going to ask about another thing. You had also, uh, your, your, your credits list you um, with your trademarked Bass Wabo and Willie Ebo, so I thought there, there could be similar stories behind Very those. similar. What That strictly, the whole way we go about building songs, and if I get stuck, you guys know how it is because I've, I've heard your music on MySpace as well on both your sites, and it's great, by the way. It's obviously well thought out. In my case, if I get stuck on something, um, I just I'll go for the reckless abandon technique and uh, plug a wall in, get an ebo, use my bass instead, run through that, and and then start making loops and work off of that. So unorthodox, totally unorthodox. Now I wanted to ask you, you guys are um, you also are listed in your credit for um, playing Chapman Stick. Mm-hmm. I personally, I've I've played with a guy who played Chapman Stick, but never actually recorded um, a stick before. Um, are there any unique challenges to recording a stick? Now, I, I think they have a stereo output. Is that how they work? They do. There's a, a bass and a treble out on that. We primarily just use the bass side of the stick, uh, mainly because we're not good stick players. Um, <laughs> we don't even own a stick. It's a friend of mine and John's named Daryl Chaddock, who's was kind enough to always loan us his stick whenever we need to do some stick work. And there are certain songs that we just decided when we started this that the stick was going to be fundamental in the low end. So what I've done, I've finally come down to where I'm just using a, a Behringer bass V-amp on kind of an 80s um, model that I run the low end of the stick through that, and then we fumble our way to ecstasy of <laughs> with stick. And it's, it's really pretty funny. There's videos showing me... Um, working on a part, and I lay it in my lap and play it like a lap steel, tapping okay. as opposed to upright. I cannot handle the other way. It's impossible. Now, John can play it like a real uh, human being would play it. I mean, he's not Tony Levin, but he's certainly very capable, whereas I'm just stabbing at it. But in the end, um, thank God for digital technology. We, I, I spend more time cutting and pasting and editing, uh, as you can imagine. I mean, we might spend an hour laying down tracks and then eight hours of making it musical in the long run. Am I hearing those uh, African slit drums on Tabula Rasa? Uh, you are, and that's uh, most likely, let's see, that slit drum, Scott has a slit drum that we've used that. That's actually not his slit drum on that part, though. That's an, another um, sample that I found somewhere, and okay. I just created a, a drum pattern and built from there. 
a lot of the the songs start for me and for John with me creating a drum pattern. And I'm by no means a drummer, but I'll, I'll bring in sounds from wherever I found them, you know, on the internet, string them together in in a very you know, it's just like going back to where you're cutting with a razor blade on tape in the old days when we did that with the Task N38 when I learned on. Um, I'm just doing that digitally, obviously, and creating a, a drum track that we build from there. And that's that's how we get inspired most often. So does Scott come in later and do some um, live uh, percussion or drumming over the top? Or, um, he has. He'll either, he sent stuff to us. He hasn't been as involved as he uh, wishes to be, mainly due to just uh, some family issues he's had lately. But he had has come in and played slit drum on some pieces. Um, spent us some crazy, crazy um, time pieces that I'm still trying to figure out how to count <laughs> that we're working in. So he uh, he's really into trying to go after the, the, the odd time signature. And I like playing in odd times and, and write a lot of stuff that feels that way. I can't count it to save my life, but I can feel it. So <laughs> we work along that way. So are there, of the, the songs that you sent, are there any of the songs that, where he added live percussion, or is it all either loops or stuff that was triggered? Uh, right now, I think what you heard is all just loops and triggers on that, yeah. Okay, yeah, because there was a couple spots on, on the song um, Chow Brazil that it sounded like maybe a couple of the fills were, you know, overdubbed, um, you know, either triggered or, you know, but actually played live. But Well, I wish they, they had been, and I know it drove him crazy when I sent him that file um, before I finished Chow Brazil up, that's that's a John song all the way uh, that he we decided to recut. He'd written it years ago, and I just threw down the the drum machine part on it. Then I realized I wanted to put some fills in it, and they they are so weird because the times and the sounds of those fills are not always in sync. Because obviously I'm picking the fills, and I also chopped them up. They feel weird to me, but they're kind of fun. It's a real push pull kind of feel. Oh no, I I love the fills. I thought that really added. Um you know, a, a unique element to the song. I think the first time I heard that song, it was the, well, I like the harmonies on, on the vocals. I also like the fills, but in the middle section where the guitar solo comes in, that's kind of what uh, what sold me on the song. It's just, I, I love the, uh, you the, know, the guitar tone there and the harmonies and the, the real nice sustaining tone that you guys are getting on the guitars. Well, thank God for Ebo, the Ebo, I should say, for that. Uh-huh. I, I tend to use a lot of Ebo, and uh, probably Ebo crazy sometimes, but um, that was a kind of a, we didn't know what to do for that solo. It was real important to get it done, and it needed a solo, and John was really pushing for more of a jazzy, clean kind of solo, and I just couldn't feel it or hear it, so I started thinking, what would Dave Gregory from XTC do in the middle of this song? And uh, that's where that kind of came from. It reminded me of something he might have done off of Oranges and Lemons or something years ago. With that Ebo, did you harmonize that with a whammy pedal, or... What was that, or did you? No, it goes just strictly. It's just uh, two, two tracks, separate tracks of Ebo. It's the Ebo Plus that I use, which allows you to have a, a lower, darker um, sound, and then more of a higher octave sound when you flip the switch. So, I just did one on the low, warm sound, and then one with a high, kind of synthetic octave. That, and then when you put them together with some delay and a little bit of reverb, that's the trademark sound we're kind of, kind of using on a lot of stuff these these days. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I have the original Ebo, and I guess it only gives you the uh, that that um, kind of the the harsher, you know, not because it's, it's definitely not a mellow tone. It definitely is. I've got both Ebos as well, the newest one and the older one. And and while I, the older one can still be used for a lot of great effect, there's really a different way that that magnet must have worked because it it was a little bit uh, edgier, I guess you'd say. And I like the new one because again the 
one position gives you kind of a more organic tone, and then the other position, that's when I think you mentioned Zuchik Whammy. I've never played one of those, but I'd like to try one. I hear they're, they're great, but everybody starts sounding like Tom Morello then when they use it or something. But <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> I'm finding that less is more all the time. We stack up 20 tracks, and then I end up using partial tracks fade in, fade out. If I had to lay, um, I'll pull it off in, in less, and I do this a lot print a lot of effects i really do when i use effects i'm not afraid to print them sometimes that bites me in the end because i wish it was gone but i just it may be what the song felt like at the time and i just have to go with that yeah i, I feel like a lot of times we especially with guitar if if the the effect is a large part of you know not only your tone but how you're approaching the song you know if if you're playing off of a delay time or whatnot it's like you have to Definitely. print it with the with the effects otherwise you know it just doesn't feel right when you're playing it that's exactly right. And, of course, you know, we're all growing up uh, playing music probably in the early 80s. I mean, a chorus pedal and a delay pedal were, you know, they had to be there on the floor. You, you couldn't do half of what you wanted to do, and um, they're still in place today. So since you're using that dig- Digitech piece, so all your guitars, um, you're recording direct, um, it has some sort of uh, speaker simulation in it, I assume? It does. You know, again, it's much like a pod. Uh, I've messed around with different types of, of preamps, um, you know, SANS amps, uh, the pod, of course, and occasionally I'll use my uh, ADA MP1 rack, if you recall those, mm-hmm. it's a tube preamp, and it's a great clean tone, and in fact, I think that was used on Chow Brazil for John's guitars, so that was a nice uh, different sound, but again, I always jump back to this Genesis, and if, I, if it goes down and crashes, which it will, it gets so hot, for, you know, it's just probably very poorly made but <laughs> you can't even touch it when it's been on for a couple of hours so i better start scouring the pawn shops in austin and pick up another one for a backup so what are you using to record vocals uh primarily an old sm57 and this is going to sound weird but i don't use any 57s that aren't the, that are they, they have to be like 80s or even earlier i'm real funny about that i like the sound of the older 57s any particular reason i mean i assume over time maybe they lose a little bit of the uh their shrillness that they sometimes they have, but they haven't been redesigned for a new presence peak or anything, have they? I mean, it's been a fairly consistent circuit, simple circuit, and simple design over the years. I think they're absolutely the same as they probably were than the ones that they're making in Mexico in the factory now. For some weird reason, though, I always search out these old script logos and use them, and I do think they probably lose a little bit, and it's not a good thing. But I'm, I guess that's my one superstition. Even though I'm not superstitious, I always use this crazy old SN57. And I, I kind of know where it's going to sit in the mix, more or less. Although I, I certainly would like to use some better microphones. We record direct 99.9% of the time. And then if John twists my arm into putting vocals on a song because um, he's ready to do it, then I'll whip out the mic. But that's, that's laziness to a certain degree. Secondly, I kind of know what my sound's going to be. I don't really EQ a lot going in. I try to only EQ you know, when I'm mixing. I really try to go in flat as, as I can. I've got a train about 100 yards away. Again, all the animals outside. It, it's miking live is a nightmare for me over here. So I really try to avoid that at all costs. Was there any on any of the other songs that you sent? Is there anything um, that was unique or you know to the recording of any of those specific songs that you might want to talk about? I would think on one song, Insomniac, which I'm real real fond of. Um, it starts off with a real interesting loop that. I had, and it was one of those songs that I just woke up in the middle of the night. I rarely do this kind of thing anymore. Woke up at 2, couldn't sleep, 
came in here and wrote and recorded that song in three hours, and it was done deal. And those are always wonderful when you get those, as you guys know. I mean, it's like, wow, I can't get from heaven, thank you, um, as opposed to the ones you have to grind out. That started with a, about four or five different guitar tracks stacked that I then mixed real quickly into a loop and then flew it back in onto one track and then used that throughout the song, just randomly fading in and out. Um, and that gives it that push and pull and that build. And then I, I was real pleased with the way the solo worked on that, too. I got that kind of honky Holdsworth kind of tone I was looking for, and uh, it, just, it just flew out. So very simple song, very cool drum beat that, um, again, here's a used drum machine that I bought at a pawn shop or something ages ago that somebody had left that rhythm on. And it was the most oddball rhythm, and I cut it, and the machine died not too shortly after I cut that track. So it was just, everything about it just fell into place in a weird way. Some poor drummer somewhere else is, is looking for his credit. Yeah, he's never going to get it, probably. He, he's, he's uh, you know, <laughs> I can't find him. And if I did, I certainly would hire the guy to be my programmer. He's good. Now, I know you guys have a lot of um, songs up on your MySpace page. Are you going to put together an album at some point? Or, you know, it just seems like every couple of weeks you guys have a new song up there. So I was kind of wondering what's your... I, I want to get a CD out. Um, I wish John would pull all the free songs off there so we can start charging 99 cents or something per song. But we haven't figured out if we want to do that yet or not. We have discussed it. Yeah, the songs, the songs have been coming out in the last two years. I think we've got probably close to 40 finished, um, and which is really... a, a prolific time for us because we went through I know I went through about seven or eight years I could, couldn't write anything I don't know why it just wasn't coming out and uh, it we're due to put something out we just haven't decided how we want to go about it um, I need to get all this stuff mastered everything up there is, has not been mastered it's just you know coming off of what I've mixed I, I know it could be better but um, the idea is there and we're just kind of getting our feet wet as we go right now you mentioned a guitar that you play guitar set, rolling guitar synth, and wanted to see if you were, were still playing that and which one you had. Definitely, yeah. It's a again that Franken Strat that I use, which I've got a PRS and all kinds of other nice guitars, but I always use this crazy cheesy Yamaha that John sent me. Uh, a neighbor had in the closet, belonged to their kid, and it's just this crazy Yamaha harmony body with no name pickups, just really ugly. So I set it on fire, and literally. And just kind of made it my own and then rebuilt it. And it's just my favorite guitar in the world now. And I put a Roland guitar synth pickup on it and got an old Roland GR1 with the expander module. And um, I use that for, if you ever hear any of the stuff on there that sounds like fretless bass, that's actually guitar synth. Now, I think, is it um, Tabla Raza? Did that one have the um, that it fretless bass on it? Yes, okay, that's, yeah. that's the fretless okay. patch on that Roland guitar synth. And, that is just one of the best little things. I, I'd trigger some string sounds, use it for that bass primarily is what I use it for. Uh, we haven't really gone after the the lead because a lot of times it sounds so so obvious, you know what I mean? So we try to stay away from that, just do subtle background parts with the uh, with the synth. I, in general, you know, the guitar, 
I'm trying not to use it as an upfront instrument so much anymore as just a, you know, like we're painting with it, just pieces and bits here and there. Obviously, I'm as happy as anybody to wink on a good guitar solo occasionally when it's necessary, but more than anything, I'd really like our instrumentals uh, parts of the songs to stay there and be a texture as opposed to a solo all the time now what's the um just so if people wanted to listen to some of more of your music where can they where can they find you on the internet well the best place right now is go to myspace willard marcel theory and you'll find us there you can also that'll lead you to the gilliam section which is our alter ego ambient uh site more or less that that the songs that don't quite sound like willard marcel theory um become Gilliam section we just decided we need to have two uh, entities because our personalities were so different and sometimes we just weren't in a rocking mood we wanted to go with some kind of ethereal song so it it seemed that it worked that the way best we will try to launch a website just to keep some more stuff updated right on well hey Will thanks a lot for taking time out of your Sunday and talking with us and definitely stay in touch and you know let us know w- uh, what you guys are up to well thanks much let me know when you post we, we really appreciate all your, your encouragement and uh, help on this I hope y'all have a great day all right well that's gonna wrap up show number two of the Studio Rats podcast want again wanted to thank Will for being on the show we're gonna end the show um, listening to um Chow Brazil by the Willard Marcel Theory. We'll listen to it in its entirety. And I did want to mention, um, we are going to try to do the show monthly. Wanted to apologize for the really long delay between the first and the second show. Probably the summer was the absolute worst time to start to start um, a new podcast. Uh, we just got really busy with vacations and Jeff's traveling all over the place with various gigs. So please bear with us. We do have a lot of great ideas for future shows and hope that you will hang in there with us. If you want to contact us, you can email us at hosts at finleysound.com. Or, as always, you can always call the Skype number and leave us a voicemail message. That number is 707-736-6235.
never 